This is a whole observatory podcast. Hello, this is Cody Halfmoon, and you're listening to Star Stuff. I'm joined by co-host Haley Osborne. Hi, everybody. And today we have elementary school division head and STEM program lead at Arecibo Observatory Star Academy, Bradley Rivera. Hello, everyone. Hey, Bradley. So I'm super excited because this uh, episode happened because of uh, basically AAS, where I got to meet with some of the amazing staff at uh, Arecibo Observatory. And it was just like, they're such cool people. I can't wait to talk about what you guys are offering. Super. Yeah, it was actually a wonderful experience to be at the AAS and actually to get to meet you too. Um, So just being able to to meet all um, different types of scientists from different parts of the world, that was a really wonderful experience. And you are calling in today from Arecibo, Puerto Rico, correct? Actually, I am in a different part of Puerto Rico right now. Um, oh. So I am joining from San Juan, Puerto Rico, which is uh, the capital of the island. But oh. it's just sort of one hour away drive from uh, Maracaibo. So. Oh, how nice. <laughs> how, how are your views right now? Can we be jealous? Actually, right now I'm in my apartment, so the view is not that great. However, <laughs> there are many sites to be uh, uh, um, astounded by in Puerto Rico, so. Oh my gosh. Absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. We were just talking about this. I was telling Cody, I've never been, but I definitely want to go at oh some point. <laughs> it's just yeah, definitely, stunning. Oh. Definitely. Yeah. It's one of those places that you have to actually visit to see how, how beautiful it is. I'm excited to talk about, I mean, we were looking at pictures at AAS and I was just sick to my stomach because you guys have one of the most gorgeous freaking views. But um, I think, so first, I guess before spoilers, tell us about Arecibo Observatory. Okay, so um, the Arecibo Observatory is a facility, um, one of the main scientific facilities that we have right now in Puerto Rico. So um, we have scientists from all over the world uh, joining us at the facilities. There's different sciences that are currently being conducted. So we have um, researchers focusing on planetary sciences. Um, Others are focusing more on the radio astronomy uh, side of um, research. Um, We have engineers. We have environmental scientists. So there's a little bit of everything. Um, And there's also the outreach center, which is our museum. And in there, we have a, a very big group of um, educators and um, students that join us at the museum to um, provide activities such as um, observation nights and, and other type of things. So that allow us to connect with the community here in Puerto Rico. That's fantastic. And um, I know we were talking about uh, I, Arecibo Observatory made like international headlines um, yeah. about your telescope and you were telling me how, which we'll talk about, but through this, your observatory, like you all came together with this incredible passion and mission to continue basically, um, as astronomy education to the public, which I think is an incredible story and just shows how much it means to the observatory to carry out that mission. Mm-hmm. 
Actually, uh, um, we started running the Star Academy project, which is the main project that I worked on at uh, the observatory. Um, this is something that started in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a project that um, resulted from an um, internship that I conducted with um, the Arecibo staff. So I participated in a research experience for teachers. At that time, I was a mathematics teacher here on the island. And from there on, um, basically my job was to develop a curriculum for high school students so that they will get to know about the wonderful things that we do at the observatory. And from there, Star Academy was actually founded. Wow, in 2018? 2019, yeah. 2019, Mm -hmm. okay. Oh, so right, okay, so right before... uh a little bit before COVID. So yeah, exactly. That was just uh, at the right time. Um, we had, it was one of the major difficulties that we had at the beginning of the program. However, uh, um, we managed to pull through and right now the program is actually running. Oh, amazing. Nice. So could you uh, give us a brief introduction to the Academy? You know, tell us a little bit about it. Yeah. Okay. So um, Star Academy is a program that is mainly um, geared towards students that are in ninth to 12th grades um, from private and public schools here on the island. So we have every semester we choose 30 students. We have um, our application pool has been from 50 to 120 students every semester applying for the program. Mm. Yeah. And it's actually a very uh, difficult process to go down from 120 students that are interested in just being able to choose 30 students every semester. Yeah. It's actually, uh, we do it by stages. So we have students that first they complete uh, the regular application form. Then we have them write an essay expressing their interest in the academy. From there, we narrow it down to at least 60 or 70 students then we conduct um, an interview, and f- from there, then we do our final selection. Wow! And cool. yeah, and the purpose of the the academy is basically exposing the students to the main sciences that uh, take place at the observatory, and and also outside uh, Marisabel. So we have uh, four main pillars. We want our students to uh, be knowledgeable about astronomy in general. We also want them to develop programming skills. Particularly, we have our students uh, learn how to program um, in Python. Wow. Um, <laughs> and it's not their favorite component. No. Um, <laughs> and it's one of those things that uh, um, it's a little bit difficult for students to get a, a grasp on. However, <laughs> once they uh, understand um, how to program in Python, then they fall in love with it. And uh, um, <laughs> it's wonders. Says the program lead. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, I'm I'm even horrible at Python, and I have a degree in physics. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, we, but, say a lot to your instructors, Bradley. Right, it's actually, it's actually very uh, um, difficult, right, for us to um, get the students to see the the purpose, the usefulness of programming. However, mm-hmm. we also have um, scientists that we invite to talk to the students, and almost on a, on a weekly basis, mm-hmm. um, we have them visit us, uh, um, be it virtually or in person, depending on the semester. And almost all the scientists that we've had so far, they have mentioned the importance of programming. So it serves as a little bit of a backup there in convincing <laughs> the students. Uh, um, like, see, we're not lying. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly, exactly. Oh. For our audience, Bradley, could you tell us what um, 
astronomers would need to program. I don't think that's something that a lot of people make the connection of if oh, you're yeah. an astronomer, you know, you have to know how to yeah. do like run Python. What is that? Mm-hmm. So there are basically two different types of um, researchers in astronomy. So we have the theoretical uh, scientists and we have the scientists that work with um, data that is collected through observations. So if uh, you're a scientist that collect data through observations nowadays, um, be it by the amount of uh, um, calculations that you have to make or the amount of um, data processing that you need to conduct, programming serves as a really cool uh, and efficient instrument to be able to process data. So we've had, for example, some of our students uh, um, using Python are able to download um, data directly from different missions, for example, from the Kepler uh, mission or from the test mission so that they can look at, um, let's say, for example, we've had students look at light curves and from there, they can actually analyze and see when a transit around a star for an exoplanet happens. So basically, a transit is when we have an exoplanet orbiting um, around a star, and the planet just happens to pass exactly through the front of um, the star as we are observing it. So that causes a dip in the luminosity, and we can actually see that uh, um, by processing the data by using some type of um, data visualization tool that is um, part of the programming language. So you guys are hackers. Um, actually, not us so much, but the students tend to uh, turn into small hackers through oh, the semester. Nice. <laughs> That's insane. Nice. <laughs> yeah, and then Haley is just messaging me and saying like that she does MATLAB. That's crazy to me. <laughs> oh, yeah. MATLAB is, uh, that's a whole different conversation. Yeah, it's the yeah. only one that I can do, though. <laughs> like, I kind of tried to learn um, mm-hmm. Python, and it did not work out well for me. I, I do LabVIEW, though, mm-hmm. which is basically just coding with pictures, which is something I find hilarious. I could do that. Um, I like this one. This, this sounds I've, way more fun. <laughs> I've actually never used LabVIEW, and that's definitely something that uh, um, I'm going to be checking out after. Yeah, after totally. Episode, so. uh, um, regarding MATLAB, um, most of our, stud- of our students um, have difficulty with Python, so um, I suppose that they would also have difficulty with uh, a MATLAB. MATLAB is a program mm-hmm. that requires a little bit of a higher end uh, um, syntaxes when programming. And even most of our scientists at the observatory, they don't use MATLAB. They tend to shy away from it and actually use uh, um, other open source languages. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I've heard that, like, um, Python's a good one just because people use it a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. I just use MATLAB because that's like what I was taught in uh, undergrad and grad school. And Mm -hmm. I don't know. I found it pretty easy just because it was like, it was very straightforward. You know, there wasn't like a bunch of programs to open (laughs) and everything. It was just like, okay, you have this document in this folder, type in this and it'll pull up that document and take out all of the information and use it, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It has like a um, graphical interface that Python doesn't, doesn't have. So that certainly has its, its advantages. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. So I have a question about your location out there in the where the academy is in, in Arecibo. Um, 
what are the night skies like out there? Because I know you're on an yeah. island. Uh, are they pretty dark? Not necessarily. It depends on um, which part of the island you're in. So, for example, right now um, where I'm at, there's a lot of light pollution. I'm in the um, capital of the island, so it's a very busy place. Uh, um, particularly, there's a lot of um, places for uh, tourists and um, many buildings that are always uh, um, that they have always lights up at all times. So that doesn't create a, an environment um, that is prone for um, nighttime sky watching. However, if you are on Arecibo, particularly where the observatory is located, then the skies are really dark. And it's actually a, a whole different perspective to watch the night sky from Arecibo as compared to watching the night sky from, from someone. Mm -hmm. Really? Oh, okay. Yeah. And even a, a, at a short distance, right, it's... it's approximately one hour of distance from uh, one city to the other. But the difference is actually very uh, um, highlighted. Nice, nice. Yeah, okay, I'm looking at it on a map now. Sorry, just to orient myself. Okay. <laughs> um, I have a question about the observatory. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, Lowell is very, like, interested in outreach. You know, we've got our mission, which is both to conduct scientific research and bring it to the public. So I was wondering how uh, the observatory Arecibo uh, helps educate tourists and locals in science and astronomy. So um, most of our visitors at the, what we call the museum is actually called the learning center. Um, mm, learning. Okay. So mm. most of the tourists um, that visit the island somehow end up in Arecibo, right? So um, mm. the Arecibo mm -hmm. observatory was one of our main attractions, um, I, I would say like approximately like 60 to 70% of uh, the visitors that we had at the observatory were actually tourists visiting mm -hmm. the island. Um, however, af after the collapse, that has changed a little bit. Yeah. So mm -hmm. we had the collapse happening in um, the collapse of the main instrument, which was the radio telescope, mm -hmm. um, happening in December of 2020. Since then, uh, uh, and also due to the uh, closures that we had, there was a couple of months that were closed due to um, the COVID restrictions mm -hmm. um, and all that. So the amount of visitors that we've had at the museum has significantly decreased. Yeah. Um, and that includes visitors from the island and visitors uh, um, like tourists, people that are visiting the island for the first time. So it's a sad thing, right? Uh, um, however, um, part of all these outreach programs is so that we can eventually go back um, to normality at, at the museum and we can actually have an increase in visitors and be able to reach more people and tell them all about these wonderful sciences that we do at um, the observatory. So could you tell, just for our listeners who maybe don't know what's going on, could you tell them about the, the telescope? And I know that it's under, it's under reconstruction, right? There is a way that our listeners could help Make Actually, it. right right now, um, we don't have a reconstruction that is going. Um, the process that was undergoing was the cleanup of the mm -hmm. area where the uh, telescope collapsed. Mm -hmm. um, we're still waiting um, for further steps from the National Science Foundation. That is something mm -hmm. that is pending there right now, evaluating what was the, the cause of the cable slip. Um, uh, so, okay. 
for those listeners that are uh, not um, that aware of what actually happened during the collapse, so basically what we had is one of the cables slip from the socket that it connected to. And um, this is something that was observed um, since 2017. However, the engineering reports uh, show that it was something that was normal, but the cable was actually sleeping at a faster uh, rate than expected. We had, um, yeah, we had a wave of um, very strong earthquakes on the island. We have mm-hmm. a, a big hurricane um, in 2017. So that actually might have affected um, the cable connectors. Mm-hmm. And eventually the cable completely slipped and mm. it disconnected from the socket. Um, there was a, a request for a replacement cable. And while the new cable arrived at the observatory, a second cable slipped. So oh, and wow. that was that was when things actually uh, um, went bad. So it was a situation of um, if you would actually have people go up the towers to replace that cable, it was also dangerous for them because the third cable, the whole structure could collapse at any time. And um, basically, that's what we saw happening in December. Okay, and then um, so if we have listeners that want to help or be a part of your your um, your process to get that taken care of uh what can what could they do or where could they go actually on the website for the arecibo observatory all the information on how to support us is is there so there's links in case and uh, um there's people that want to donate uh, particularly for the um efforts in outreach in terms of the reconstruction Mm -hmm. since Mm -hmm. that is something that is uh, um, managed by the national science foundation Mm-hmm. Then uh, um, the partnership that we currently have, right, uh, the observatory, it's property of the National Science Foundation, but it's also uh, managed in um, an agreement by the University of Central Florida. We have Jang Enterprises and um, the a local university, which is University Ana Jiménez. Um, and each of them take care of a different component. So it's a very complex situation. Mm-hmm. Um, however, on the website, there's uh, links for uh, people to actually be able to donate, mm-hmm. um, particularly to the outreach uh, component of Perfect. the observatory. Yes, and I see the links here. This is at, uh, for our listeners, this is at naic.edu slash AO. And uh, there are links here where you can donate for the public outreach and education. I just want, we will add those links uh, to our profiles as well. And there's different ways that actually uh, um, people can um, help the visitor center, right? There's an online shop where we uh, um, sell um, shirts, we have hats, we have different things that um, the listeners can actually um, order. And that would help us support uh, all the initiatives that we have at the uh, observatory. Oh, great. So we we can help just by uh, buying a t-shirt and supporting... The observatory. Definitely. Oh, nice. I love you that. You will get a really cool swag and help yeah. a good cause. Awesome. You <laughs> awesome. look good and do good. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> so, Bradley, uh, tell us about your newsletter. Oh, yeah. So, um, at the observatory, every approximately every um, other month, we publish a newsletter. Um, if you actually visit the Galaxy Shop, so there's going to be a small pop-up uh, on the lower right of the screen that gives you the option to subscribe to your newsletter. And in there, we share information regarding the latest science that is happening at the observatory. And um, we also uh, share a little bit about our outreach efforts and everything that is happening with Star Academy, too. So it's if you want to stay up to date on um, the day-to-day happenings at the observatory, then that's a wonderful thing to join. 
That's fantastic. We will, I will put my information in right now. Super, super. I can All hear right. her. I literally am. I am. I am. I have subscribed to the newsletter. <laughs> that That's <just> wonderful. <laughs> the more people that we have joined the, the newsletter, the more uh, um, people that then we can reach, right? So to us, it's very important that we yeah. have um, that component of our totally. outreach. Um, and is the Science and Visitor Center open now or is it only the online part that's open? No, everything is open right now. Um, Good. Yeah. However, our main attraction uh, um, was that, well, you enter the, the, the museum, right? There's an exhibition uh, um, that includes many uh, um, learning activities. However, there was a part behind the uh, museum itself where you could go after watching a movie uh, mm-hmm. about the history of the observatory, and you would be able to see the uh, radio telescope. Uh-huh. That part, it, the site is completely different nowadays, right? Because uh, um, what you would be able to see is the remaining part of the uh, main reflector and basically uh, um, the sinkhole where the telescope was actually built. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit sad, but uh, um, there's a lot of history right involved. So yeah. it's uh, definitely uh, a place to be visited if you're in Puerto Rico. That's fantastic. Yeah. And I freaking love your merch. <laughs> Sorry. I just went to, <laughs> oh my gosh, there's like this Pulsar tote bag with, mm. oh my God. It reminds me of uh, the Joy Division. Uh, it's a, a band, an old band. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. I am going to that's actually spin. one of my uh, uh favorite uh, um t-shirts from the observatory yes that's specific one about the pulsars i literally have like three <laughs> items in my cart i'm already just that's awesome <laughs> that's awesome that with you um, how dare that's you perfect. <laughs> I'm no these are oh my gosh there's notebooks with this there are pins guys this these are so cool Oh, those There's, are really cool. I had to pull it up. Cody was raving. Oh my god! <laughs> There's another one that is uh, um, really nice, which was um, the one that has the replica of the first message that was sent to space. Stop! Say oh. that. That one no is. Way. Yeah, you can order it in a fleece. You can order it in a mug. <laughs> Tell us about this message sent to space. Yeah. So um, actually, that was um, one of the initiatives that we had uh, um, many years ago at the observatory to actually get people um, interested in astronomy. And the way that it was presented right to the public was that we're sending a message to space. Um, mm-hmm. This message has actually uh, um, cost uh, um, a lot of rockets, right? There's many people <laughs> that believe that it has been responded, uh, uh, For but just to clarify... Oh my we have God. not received any responses to our okay, message so yet, right? <laughs> what are the what are the conspiracy theories? We love those on this podcast. There's there's quite a few. Uh, oh um, yes. And actually, we have many visitors at the museum actually ask us, right, about what information are you not telling us about the the response that you received? Oh my gosh, we uh, get that. Message. But <laughs> we get that, yeah. <laughs> but it's a cool, a good uh, um, moment, right? to um, educate people and explain to them how science really works, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, um, So So what message did you send out, my friend? (laughs) Actually, (laughs) 
Yeah, this message um, that was sent included a little bit of uh, um, information, right, about the human genome and um, very important facts about uh, um, us as um, humankind, right? So that's one of the main concerns that people have. Yeah. <laughs> We've talked about this on the podcast before. We're like, oh my gosh, now they know. They yeah, know that, too much. <laughs> that's exactly what we get some of the visitors say, right? Why are you sending this information to space? So, because it's um, awesome. That's why. <laughs> and then wasn't it I, like funny pictures of people like this is how we eat and it's like a person eating a sandwich maybe and it shows the bite of the sandwich already (laughs) right yeah yeah yeah. okay okay i'm on board now i (laughs) Um, i love wait i love the girls in stem collection there there's four girls here do you know who they are Actually, I'm not sure if they were designed uh, uh, based on uh, um, anyone specific. Okay, cool. But this was one of the initiatives Ooh. that we had at the museum um, where we had some of our programs. Uh, um, we have um, programs that were targeted right at, at girls so that we can actually promote mm-hmm. that they feel more comfortable in uh, um, approaching these sciences. And that is, <laughs> so, so you can cool. also add that one to Cody. You can add that one of those to the cart too. Yes. Honestly. <laughs> I legitimately I have six mug. items in my cart. <laughs> I so love yeah, this. We've actually been, uh, um, one of the other components that I haven't actually mentioned, right, uh, about Star Academy is that we try to promote um, the development of a healthy scientific identity in our students. Here on the island, there's a lot of stereotypes about uh, um, who are scientists, that scientists are uh, are men. You're not alone. That's everywhere. Yeah. And that that is very difficult to approach, uh, right? And and to break Mm -hmm. those stereotypes when we have, um, for example, breaking those stereotypes in grown-ups is a hundred times more difficult than actually educating uh, um, young kids about the right Mm -hmm. way to approach this. uh, um, Preach. areas of STEM, right? So one of the things that we try to do at Star Academy is actually include representation for everyone that is attending the academy. So you'd be surprised that most of our applicants for Star Academy are actually young girls. Yes. Um, (laughs) We have like 70 something percent uh, um, of the applications being um, young girls and actually most of our students have been girls. As a a fun fact, Every semester, we choose one student um, as the student that gave the best pre- research presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, and we support that student in um, inviting them to a scientific conference. Uh, we help them through the process of submitting an abstract and actually um, going to the conference and presenting a poster. And all the uh, students wow. that have been chosen so far have been girls. <gasps> so that is yes. one of our uh, big achievements. And um, the presentations have been wonderful so far so we've had uh, um, most of the students then pursuing uh, um, careers in STEM. That's awesome. This is fantastic. I have literally $90 in my cart right now. <laughs> well, that's a lot. Um, asteroid radar stickers. I've got the uh, radio telescope <laughs> shirt. It looks so cool. I've got uh, one of those stickers. I've got a Pulsar notebook and a tote bag. <laughs> nice. <laughs> 
Uh, I love I it. I cannot wait for our listeners to see this because what a fun way to support y'all and then also mm-hmm. get some really cool merch. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Actually, every, every, uh, um, all the funds that are collected through the um, Galaxy Chop, which is um, what we call our um, online chop is uh, directly supporting um, our efforts for outreach at the museum. Oh, That's I love awesome. that. Yeah. Yes. So. Yeah, we're, we're similar. We have, uh, you know, it's like public programs in our, in our gift shop. And I don't think people realize that. Like every penny you spend at a nonprofit uh, mm-hmm. goes to that nonprofit to make it possible. It's not just like for, for giggles, you know? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It goes for a good cause. Yes. So um, that's fantastic. I cannot wait. We will definitely drop this link in uh, in the Discord. Mm-hmm. That'll be wonderful. I want to talk more about the Academy because that's just like such mm-hmm. a cool thing. Um, what does the timeline of the Academy look like? Like uh, from start to finish, kind of like What's the breakdown? Okay, so we uh, meet with the students. Um, these are very dedicated students. Uh, um, sometimes you would hear that there's a lot of uh, um, high school students that wouldn't actually uh, be able to give up uh, on their free time, right, to, to study and, and all that. However, what we've seen through Sargat is completely opposite. So our students join us every Saturday for 16 uh, consecutive weeks from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. Um, they just take one hour break for lunch and then the rest, they're actually participating in learning activities, which include, um, lectures on, um, topics related to astronomy, um, and that go all from the basic scientific method. Then we introduce them to just observing in the night sky. And then we go all the way until the introduction to cosmology. So these students actually get like a, a sampler of what it is uh, um, to study astronomy. And um, that's more on the astronomy component. In terms of programming, we have the students um, go from how to download a programming environment. Um, they work particularly using Jupyter Notebooks. And um, they install um, IDEs like Anaconda. Some of them end up using Google Collaboratory or a similar uh, a programming environment. But we start teaching them like the basics. We go to data structures and then we give them like a short introduction to uh, machine learning. It's not that much in terms of machine learning. They just learn to do uh, um, supervised machine learning, just Mm -hmm. like a little bit of regression. But for some of these students, this is something that is completely out of their scope compared to what Mm -hmm. they will learn in in their schools. in addition to that, starting approximately in the third or fourth week, depending on the group of students, they start working on a research project. So um, we group them, uh, the students, in teams of four or five students, um, depending on um, their interest. And they choose a research topic. And from there on, every Saturday and during the week, they spend time developing this research project. So that by the end of the semester, we can have like a small research symposium where each team of students presents the results of their participation in the academy. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's so cool. And this is the moment when we choose one team of students, which will be the best presentation. And then from that team, the student with the highest uh, uh, um, grade in the academy gets chosen to represent the group and go to a scientific conference. Wow. So, 
Yeah, so far, we've had um, students joining the AAS. Um, actually, when we met Cody, we yeah. uh, had two students presenting on Aww. that conference. Yeah, yeah were, I got to meet one of them, I believe. And both of their presentations were wonderful. Um, of course, we have to keep in mind, right, these are high school students, so we're not going to get a project that is the, the PhD level. However, <laughs> it is enough to get them to a conference, and it is something that is highly meaningful for them, right, in, in terms yes. of developing this mm -hmm. self-perception of someone that is capable of doing science. And that's the part that is so important to us, right, uh, that we want students to be able to visualize, be it whatever their gender is, whatever their background is, whatever their social status is, they can be a scientist if they actually really want to do it. That's the message that we want to send uh, through Star Academy. And um, Fantastic. yeah, it's that there's a lot of stereotypes, right, uh, going around about what it means to be a scientist, right? And uh, um, you don't have to fall into the stereotype to no. be a scientist, be it in astronomy or in any other field, right? Mm -hmm. uh, um, even though our, our focus here is um, on astronomy, we actually advocate for students pursuing any type of uh, degree that they're interested in. And that's uh, um, something that's that also important, right? It's we've so had forgotten. students. Yeah, yeah. And we've had students that have been participating in the academy and meet academy. They notice that they're not really that interested in uh, um, STEM fields. And they approach us and they ask us for our feedback which career choices they can make, which things they can study in college that are not necessarily STEM, but yeah. that is also an, uh, uh, an important experience for them, right? Because we've, in a sense, we've glorified the, uh, um, what it means to be a, a scientist. Oh my gosh, preach. That has created two, uh, uh, um, two problems. The first one is that it has created the solution that to be a scientist, you have to be a gifted person. And it has also created the stereotype that to be a scientist, you have to be uh, um, right of a certain, um, you have to be male and you have to have a certain background that mm -hmm. would take you actually there, right? But that is complete lies. Yeah. You can be from any part of the world, you can be from any background and you can be a scientist and actually do good science. Yeah. So. And Another thing I think is interesting too, is all of the journeys you can take in the field of science. Like it's not mm -hmm. just you have to be behind a telescope or, mm -hmm. you know, you, there are so many fields, like you can try all of these various things and see what you're interested in and really pursue that. And that's okay too. Yeah. yeah. Follow the, on that part, uh, um, we aim to actually expose the student right to that type of thinking by inviting different scientists uh, um, and professionals from STEM fields to the academy. So um, lately, due to all the COVID restrictions, we've had most of our uh, meetings happening online. And that has limited us in a sense that we can't always be with the students face to face. However, it has opened up uh, um, the opportunity for us to invite people from all different walks of, of life, right? So we've had people joining us um, that work at NASA and they can join us through a Zoom call and talk to the students about the different work that they've done they do in their respective uh, fields. We've had engineers, we've had people working in finances. Um, recently, uh, um, we've had uh, one of the main scientists working for the James Webb, Dr. John C. Uh, Matter. I sent an email right to him and I talked to him a little bit about the program. And it was just a couple of days he 
just replied telling me that he was interested. And you can imagine the 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 expression in the kids' faces when they actually got to meet uh, um, right um, a scientist of such a high uh, caliber. Mm-hmm. Um, and for them to be able to communicate directly with him, ask him questions, ask him for advice, that was that was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, we also invite people that are not necessarily scientists, right? So we've had artists. Um, we've had one of our um, the the artists that we've invited at the academy that I've whose presentation I love uh, was Catherine Machine. Um, she actually, um, does outreach on, uh, social media mm-hmm. and basically she does, uh, space art. Ooh. So it was a nice way of oh, actually funny. bringing arts into the conversation as an option, right? That when we talk about STEM, you can also merge that with other professions such as art. And it was actually re- a really eye-opening experience for the students and it was mm-hmm. wonderful presentation. So. And that's Speaking of, theme, right? I yeah. was just gonna bring mm-hmm. that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, um, it's very important to us to also uh, um, include the arts as an essential component of um, of STEM. Right? It's not just STEM; it's uh, um, a broader field. So we we talk a little bit about STEAM. So um, we've seen there's one of the main things, right? Whenever you're doing research, research requires that you have uh, um, a little bit of not a little bit, a lot of creativity, right? Mm-hmm. And creativity is actually developed through uh, um, through play, through creative experiences, such as participating in uh, things that are related to art, be it visual, performance arts, and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, so we aim to actually nurture this part of uh, the creative thinking process in our students by including other activities that are not necessarily of um, an exactly a scientific nature, but that nurture their ability to actually think scientifically. Haley, you might be able to talk about this more, but I want to say Lowell has, like, I just feel so many, like, Lowell and Arecibo vibe. Like, the the mission and everything. (laughs) Like, adding the art into, I know that um, there are a lot of programs that just... You know, I think people are learning that that kids learn in so many different ways. Yeah. And it's not just here, memorize these answers for a test, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, that's, um, we follow a methodology, uh, um, right, a framework that's called um, constructionist learning. And um, basically what we want um, our students is to work um, and develop, right, their ideas and their own learning experiences by participating in projects that are related to their passions in which they can relate to peers and it all happens through play in a playful manner. And this is uh, um, something that um, Mitchell Resnick has um, developed and advocated for. Mitchell Resnick is um, a professor from um, MIT and um, he works at the uh, Media Lab. Mm -hmm. And um, he advocates, right, that learning actually happens in unstructured environments it doesn't really meaningful learning doesn't really happen in uh, um, a classroom where students are required to memorize terms that they're required to repeat exactly what the the teachers uh, tell them to repeat or um, Mm -hmm. they don't learn through a multiple choice test students actually learn things when they can relate them to personal experiences 
And those personal experiences take place and they're created when students are actually doing and not so much just memorizing, right? So, mm -hmm. um, and that's why we believe that the uh, research experience that our students go through is particularly meaningful for them. They get to explore a topic and uh, sometimes uh, we've heard students talking about topics that at once we were thinking like, oh, this is a really complex topic. They might struggle a little bit about uh, working with this research project. However, by the end of the semester in their presentations, they're completely uh, um, well uh, um, understanding of that specific uh, topic, right? But the environment in which the learning happened is an unstructured learning environment. The students were actually uh, um, learning something that they were passionate about. They chose the topic that they were interested in um, exploring. It's a project that we give them, right? So it has a different phases, it has a timeline, and it has a due date. But through the process, the students are actually working with their peers and the way that we frame it is uh, in a playful way, right? So we had them uh, present to us during conferences, and it's more of a, an informal conversation rather than a space where I'm actually constantly um, evaluating them or judging their uh, presentation, right? Absolutely. So we tend to leave that towards the end of the, of, of the semester mm -hmm. so that we can make the experience as unstructured in this sense, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that we actually uh, um, provide the space for meaningful learning to happen. Yeah, totally. I um, While you were talking, it made me think of, I took this um, teaching course in college and we focused on a way of uh, teaching called the 5E lesson sequence. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's very much like you start off by letting the uh, students like explore, you know, they're exploring things. Um, you're not just outright telling them like, this is exactly what we're going to do today. Like, this is what you need to know by the end of it. You know, it, it's more of introducing, uh, kind of like mm -hmm. engaging, opening up with like, okay, this is kind of what we want to talk about today. And then you give them like 20 minutes to explore the whole thing. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, that it works wonders. so well. Yeah. It worked yep. so much better. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I was like furiously scrolling through my Google Docs looking for a lesson plan because I couldn't remember what it was called, but it's the 5E <laughs> lesson sequence. It's actually, it, it's actually uh, um, the 5E instructional model. Yeah. And um, the faces are engage, explore, explain. Uh, um, it's Elaborate and evaluate. And, exactly. And then yeah. evaluate. And that process actually works wonders. And mm -hmm. um, it moves away from the uh, traditional lecture where there's a teacher or professor that stands in front of a crowd of students and just starts sharing information. And then the students are expected to just take notes and then go back home, read the notes, and memorize them. That so does in this not case, work. No. No. I don't remember anything no. from college because that's how <laughs> Yeah. So it, it doesn't work. And one of the things that you have to consider, right, if uh, um, you're a teacher or a professor using this type of methodology, is that times have changed, right? Yeah. Nowadays, our students have access to the internet. In the internet, you can actually find any type of information that you want in split seconds. Yeah. So our role as teachers is not in so much giving the students the content, is more so in helping them develop the uh, skills and the strategies that they need to solve problems and to mm -hmm. be able to think rather than actually just memorize information. So what you do with this type of uh, methodology with the five E's is that you give agency to the students in the class. Mm -hmm. 
So it's not just you given the information, but through the exploration, for example, you're gauging basically what the students know so that you can frame the explanation based on what they don't know yet. Yes. So you're basically, in a sense, individualizing the learning process so that it actually serves in benefit of the student Mm -hmm. rather than just spitting information right uh, uh, Mm -hmm. so that the students can select whatever it is that they're, they're going to need. So, yeah, well, no, well, I literally think about that. Uh, my, the best, most important class I've ever taken was in college. It was, um, literally like a problem solving course. It was a mathematics course and he mm-hmm. didn't teach us any new math, but he gave us problems and he said, okay, use what you already know to solve this problem, you know? And it's things like, uh, that's the, wonderful. The three door problem, you know, the, the money mm-hmm. hall um, problem, things mm-hmm. like that. So, um, yeah, I think that's just like the best way to teach, honestly. Yeah. I'm actually, uh, my um, education per se is in mathematics education mm-hmm. and um, applied mathematics. So, what you're presenting right now rings a bell. Yeah. Um, <laughs> most mathematics classrooms uh, nowadays, be it at the college level or at, at the high school level. Are um, teachers just given the students formulas, given mm-hmm. theorems or uh, postulates, and actually telling the students this is how you solve this type of problem? Here we have an equation, solve for uh, the, the variable or whatever it is. But the students have a hard time seeing mathematics as something that is useful. And yep. the reason is that they can't relate any of those signs, any of those equations that you're presenting to things that are relevant for them at that age. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So for example, the way that you present to a seventh grader um, how to solve an equation, a linear equation, is not the same way that you're going to present it to a a college student, right? Yeah. Um, So the methodologies that are right now more efficient and uh, um, that are actually uh, um, some of the ones that we implement at SAR Academy are um, problem-based uh, learning, project-based learning. And then the 5Es methodology actually works very well to um, basically, it serves as an instrument to, to um, remove the lecture out of the conversation and not something that it's way more effective. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And so Bradley, you're so progressive with, your education outlook. Uh, I'm curious, like what got you into this more forward thinking method of education that reaches more people than the traditional ways of education? Um, and that will be exactly my own experiences as a student. Oh, yeah. yeah. So uh, um, growing up, uh, um, I was actually, since I was in third grade, I think that it was that I said that I was going to be a teacher. <laughs> so that was, that was and looking back, that was a little bit uh, um, right. Um, I don't remember exactly why I was saying that I was going to be a teacher, but after that, I started developing a, a love for mathematics, and um, <laughs> this actually uh, um, came as a consequence of a wonderful teacher that I had in middle school, and um, I would actually. She helped me uh, prepare for competitions, but she also helped me see the the, the usefulness of uh, mathematics. Um, going through that experience in middle school, then my expectation was to have a similar type of approach in um, high school and in college. It was completely different, right? Mm-hmm. So it was going backwards, right? When I uh, went um, to high school, it was 
memorize this formula, memorize this CRM, and this is yeah. used for this, this is used for that. And my experience was uh, um, a little bit difficult in that sense, uh, to the point that I, um, right, I almost consider not uh, studying um, mathematics after mm-hmm. pursuing my first um, education degree. However, uh, um, I saw that there was a need, right, in, um, mm-hmm. on the island, and that I could actually uh, um, be able to um, to provide, right, uh, um, and be able to actually cover, um, be someone, one of the many teachers that are able to contribute to to progressing in terms of mathematics education. And then that that got me on the path to uh, finishing the um, a bachelor's in secondary education and mathematics. Nice. Well, it is no surprise that Arecibo has selected you as their STEM. Oh, thank you. Lead. I mean, seriously, I, what an incredible conversation and what a freaking cool observatory. I just want to like, yeah. just like a quick review. So Arecibo <laughs> message designed by freaking Frank Drake of the Drake yeah. Equation yep. Yep. and Carl Sagan. Not um, just any scientist. Nice. Not, not just anybody. <laughs> people that like this is a, a, a historic, incredible yeah. thing that y'all did. And and also like there's some Department of Defense stuff and yeah. research of near Earth objects. And you guys have I mean, it's incredible. And now with this incredibly like this prestigious academy that helps yeah learn how to learn i mean that's fantastic what a incredible incredible so we we try to contribute in um as as much as we can to the scientific development Mm -hmm. in the island and we think that um where we can be more most impactful is um through education right um yes Mm -hmm. uh, of course our research is um important however we think that if we want to continue doing research and we want to continue having great scientists visiting our facilities, then we also have to nurture, right, that yeah. next generation of scientists. Yep. And that, that starts from a young age. Yeah, That's totally. amazing. And you guys have hot merch. So yes. you guys are just on <laughs> all of the ways that are important. That, that's <laughs> one of the highlights. Out. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, highlight. <laughs> that's yeah, one of I the just, highlights. I just checked out of uh, my uh, my shopping cart with money that I didn't have to spend today, but that happened. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll money. definitely post links to that and your website on our Discord. Well, we are out of time. We actually went over the time that we were planning on spending yeah, because we were having that. so much fun. That's uh-huh. super. That's wonderful. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, thank you for coming again, Bradley. That was super, super great. Loved having that conversation. Fantastic. Thank yeah. you for inviting me. Of course. And to all our listeners out there, I would like you to remind you that we have a Discord channel where we're going to post a link to the Arecibo merch. Um, And we have a Twitter where you can see some cool behind the scenes content. You can also use the hashtag, hashtag AskStarStuff to ask us any questions you guys might have about life, the universe, and everything. Well, thanks for joining us. And um, yeah, have a great day. Yeah, thank you. It was an amazing conversation, Bradley. Thank you. It was wonderful. This podcast was made possible by our members and donors. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support our nonprofit in making more digital education like this available, go to lowell.edu slash donate. Thanks for listening.